I'm really excited this week about what God's laid on my heart. Normally, I don't know in advance what I'm going to minister, and some of you, that may be scary to you. But anyway, I've been doing this for 30-something years, and seldom do I ever know what I'm going to minister before I get up. But this week, the Lord laid some things on my heart, and I'm going to be sharing with you about uh, life's three biggest questions, the three most important questions that anybody will ever ask. And these are universal questions. It doesn't matter if they live in a different country. It doesn't matter what's going on. These are things that every single person has asked at one time or another. It may not be a formal request, but these are questions that every single person has pondered. And depending on how you answer these, totally determines what your life is going to be like. And as I've been meditating on this, the Lord just spoke to me and said that there's not a lot of people that have really come to a definite, definitive answer in these areas. And so what I want to do is help you answer what I consider to be life's three biggest questions. And we're going to share that from Scripture. And I believe that this is really going to impact your life. In a nutshell, I'll give you these three questions and then I'm going to spend one night on each one of these questions. First of all is, who am I? Secondly, where did I come from? And the third question is, where am I going? You know, those are three questions that every person who's ever breathed has asked. And most people, I believe, have not come to a satisfactory answer on that. Actually, I'm going to start with where did you come from? Because even though it may be the most important right now to your uh, spiritual, emotional well-being to find out who you are, who you are is dependent to a very large degree on where you've come from. You know, what you think about where you came from is going to influence and really dictate your uh, answer to this question about who you are right now. And it's amazing how many people haven't really sat down and given enough serious thought to this. But it is something that you're going to have to come up with. You know, I remember asking a guy one time, you know, something basically about who are you and where did you come from? And he just started telling me his genealogy about, you know, his grandfather and things like that. Well, that's good as far as that goes, but I'm I'm going to take you a lot further back than that. I want to tie us in and show you that we are literally an extension of God. We were created in His image. We did not evolve. And I believe that this is vital that you understand this. It'll make a huge difference in the way you view things. You know, in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse, it starts off with, In the beginning, God. And it doesn't start, give you any explanation further than that. Basically, the Word of God just starts with that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that came out of that. And it doesn't try and give any explanation beyond that because actually you don't need anything more than that. Look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 1. This is an important passage and many people haven't seen this and this will answer a lot of questions for you. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 is where Paul talked about he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, 
I haven't got time to go into this, but he, when he was using the word gospel here, it was a radical term in his day. The word gospel, this Greek word that was used here, it was in use outside of the Bible, but in all of the references that I've studied, I mean, I've looked at a lot of things. They said there was only two references to this word outside of the Bible in all of Greek literature out of thousands of different things. And the reason for it is because what it literally means is not just good news, but it's a superlative. It's talking about such great news, it's nearly too good to be true news is what it's talking about. And so this word was hardly ever used because there was nothing that was nearly too good to be true news. But when Jesus came along and died for us and forgave our sins and gave us right standing with God completely separate from what we deserve, but as a gift and all we had to do was believe, that was nearly too good to be true news. And that word was so radical in Paul's day that to even use the word gospel was offensive to the religious people because they were used to a system of relating to God based on your performance. And it was not good news. It was really bad news. It was about all the things that you didn't deserve, how you were ungodly and unworthy, similar to some of the religious concepts that are going on today. So when Paul uses terminology about saying the good news, the nearly too good to be true news, he knew that there was going to be criticism and rejection of what he said. And so in verses 18 through 20, he begins to explain why it's the good news, the nearly too good to be true news of God's unconditional love and grace that releases power in our life. And it's because you don't have to tell people the bad news. They have an intuitive knowledge of God on the inside is what verses 18 through 20 are saying. Look at this. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 says, for the wrath of God is revealed. If you look this up in the Greek, it's actually talking about the wrath of God is already revealed is the point that it's being, that is being made. The wrath of God is already revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. If you really meditate on these verses, it's saying that you don't have to tell people about God is angry at your sin and that there is a holy God and you are unholy and you are worthy of the judgment of God. Because every person already knows that in their heart. The wrath of God has already been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. It didn't say against certain types of ungodliness, but all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. Because that which may be known of God is clearly seen, is what it says. Clearly seen. It's not obscure. It is clearly seen by that which is made, which is talking about us, so that we even know His eternal power and Godhead. You know what that's talking about? Godhead means Trinity. There is an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person who has ever breathed the breath of God, His existence, their failure to be what God wanted them to be, and an acknowledgement of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It may not be totally clear, but it is there. And the rest of this chapter goes on to talk about how you can deny that 
you can harden yourself towards it and eventually reach a place where you're reprobate and God's taken all of that knowledge away and you no longer feel any conviction. So you can deaden yourself to this, but nonetheless, these passages of Scripture are saying that inside of every single person, it's like a homing device. There is a God-shaped vacuum and God placed within every one of us a knowledge of His existence and of our need for Him and all of these kind of things. And that's what Genesis chapter 1 starts with. It doesn't start by trying to prove the existence of God. It's already there. It's on the inside of every one of you. And all you got to do is just hit that cord. All you got to do is strike that string because it's on the inside of every single person. You know, there's probably some of you listening to me that are thinking, you know what, I'm not sure about this because there are people who are atheists or at least agnostics. And we have people profess that and people by their lifestyle today are promoting and professing that they don't have any knowledge of God and any fear of God in their life and they're acting like there is just basically no knowledge of God in them whatsoever. Well, again, you can sear your conscience with a hot iron, but that's a process every person started out with an acknowledgement of God and on the inside of every single person is a knowledge of God. And if you think, well, I'm not sure that's so, well, then you're in disagreement with what the Scripture says. I tell you, there is a knowledge of God. When I was in Vietnam, you know, I held a Bible study one time, and this is when I first got started. I mean, I wasn't even, I didn't even know for sure. I was called to ministry. I just knew I was called to love God full time with all my heart. But I didn't know I was a preacher or anything, but I had a Bible study in Vietnam. And I remember I had about seven or eight guys, and I was trying to teach them the Word. And an atheist walked in, a guy who was a graduate of Princeton. And he listened for just a few minutes, and then he started asking questions and making fun of me. And this guy ridiculed me, and I mean made me look like an idiot. He was asking questions that I didn't have any answers for. And he just made me look stupid. And he stood up and he says, you are just superstitious. You are foolish. And he got up and left and all of my Bible study walked out with him. And I was just sitting there. What a great Bible study that was. (laughs) And I was just sitting there and I was thinking, God, that was awesome. And wondering, what do I do now? And about 30 minutes later... This atheist came in. I was, I was in a chapel uh, library where they had tapes and books and things like this is where we were holding this Bible study. And uh, about 30 minutes later, this atheist just walks back in and sits back down. And I started praying and saying, Oh God, give me another chance. Help me to reach this guy. And this guy just walked up and came over and stood in front of me. And he looked at me and he says, I want what you've got. I said, you do? <laughs> because you know what? He had looked, he'd made me look stupid. And I said, you do? And he says, I just made a fool out of you. He says, I have discredited everything you were saying. He said, I out-argued you, and yet you, you have something that's more than an argument. He says, you, you've got a relationship with God. And he says, I want that. And I got to lead this guy to the Lord. And as I was talking to him, this guy was telling me that, you know what, in my heart I knew there's a God. 
It's just a, it's a mind game. When I was in Vietnam, there's lots of people that said they were atheists or agnostics, but you know what? When the bombs got to dropping and the bullets were flying, all of these atheists were crying out to God at the top of their lungs. I can tell you this, I am now absolutely convinced based on experience, but primarily the Word of God, that there is no such thing as an atheist. People don't take the name of Buddha and say, well, you know, swear by Buddha and swear by Hare Krishna and Hare Lam. They can tell you things, but the reason they use insults and fling it in God's face and stuff is because they know that there's a God and they in their heart know the truth. Now they can convince themselves and they might be able to convince somebody else, but they aren't going to convince me that they don't know that there's a God. Everybody knows that there's a God. You know, in Psalms chapter 46, verse 10, the scripture there says, Be still and know that I am God. What I believe that's talking about is that when you get still, and this isn't only talking about not moving, but it's talking about when you aren't listening to something, watching something, having something occupy your mind. When you just sit out and look at a sunrise, a sunset. When you sit out, you know, when I was a little kid, my parents used to think I was... I mean, I remember my mother wondering, what are you doing? Because I would go out, I mean, at six, seven years old and lay in the backyard and look at the stars and just wonder, man, what is all of this? What, where am I? Who am I? What is my life all about? And I used to lay out in the yard hours at night and just think. And my mother literally got to thinking, what are you doing out there? So there was a little spot in between. We had an air conditioning unit and our house. And I, I found out I could hide. I could lay in between that air conditioning unit and the house and look up at the stars and think. And my mother wouldn't know where I was. <laughs> but you know what I was doing? Every time you get still and you just start letting your heart think, you know what, this homing device starts going off on the inside of you. And it'll start asking questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And a person who hasn't yet gotten the right answer to those things, they will deny that and they don't like that. They'll call it being bored or whatever, but you know what it is. When you get still, your heart starts drawing you towards God. There's a still small voice on the inside of every one of us that is constantly, it's like a homing device that is just constantly going off and asking these questions. And most people have learned how to deny that, to turn it off. They flood their life with noise, racket. There's probably some of you in here that just can't stand to be in your house without the television on or the radio on. Even if you aren't listening to it, you just got to have something going. People don't like to be still. But you know, I love it because when I do that, man, it's your heart starts drawing you towards God. It'll start asking you questions. Is this all that life is about is it just get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can? Is that, what, is that what life is about? Is it just get up and go to work and come home and go to bed and get up and come home and go to work? Is that all that life is about? Most people will get to, they'll start putting names on this. You know, we call it the midlife crisis. Most people 50 years ago were missing the midlife crisis because they didn't know they were supposed to have one. But today we've identified it. Many people are looking for it. And all it is, 
is when you hit around 40 years old or something, a lot of people all of a sudden, they're no longer just thinking about the future and what they're going to accomplish. They're about halfway through with this life or more and they begin to think, man, am I ever going to obtain these goals? Look where I am and compared to where I felt like I was going to be and they begin to start being dissatisfied and discouraged with their life and then they start taking medication to cope with it when the answer to it isn't in taking medication, it's in realigning your life and making some decisions and changing things and getting right with God. But what I'm trying to say is that on the inside of every person, if you will admit it, I can guarantee it's the truth. God is telling you of His existence. Here's theology. This is great theology. Real simple. But this is profound. That there is only one God and you are not Him. You are not God. You are not the center of the universe. And if you would get quiet, your heart would go to telling you this. Your heart would go to telling you that, you know what? There's got to be something more important than serving me. There's got to be something bigger than me that I want to serve. You know, my generation was called the me generation. And I tell you what, if you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. And yet this is exactly where most people have lived. Most people, it's all about yourself. It's all about loving yourself serving yourself, getting things for yourself, promoting yourself. And if you're doing that, you are one miserable person. And some of you think, well, I'm not really miserable. You really are. And that's the reason you can't get still. And that's the reason you can't be quiet because your heart will go to telling you that, man, there's more to life than what I'm living. You know what, it all really goes back to the fact that you were created by God for a purpose. And that purpose is not yours to choose. Here's a, this is another great passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 10. This passage has really impacted my life. The Lord spoke this to me in no uncertain terms. Jeremiah chapter 10 and if you were to read the whole chapter, what he's doing, this is the, the uh, weeping prophet, Jeremiah was called, because all he did was pronounce judgment on the nation of Israel. And he was pronouncing here that God's chosen people were going to be forsaken by him, that terrible tragedy was going to happen, and it just broke his heart. And in the midst of his pronouncing of this judgment, he asked this question. He says, how could this happen to the people who were once the apple of God's eye, the people who were the envy of the entire world. How could they have come to this place where they're, now they're forsaken by God? And then he answers his own question in verse 23. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. That is one profound passage of Scripture. God did not make us to control our own life. Now he made us with that privilege. He gave us that much authority. You can choose whatever you want to do. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. He says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Man, this ought to be a no-brainer. Life, death, blessing, curse. But just in case somebody wasn't sharp enough to figure this out on their own, he says... Choose life. 
Amen. It's like easy answer. He even gave you the answer to this quiz. But he gave us the choice. You choose life or you choose death. You choose blessing or you choose cursing. He gave us the privilege, but you know what? He never intended for us to function and choose things independent of him. The average person literally chooses their own course of their life. They choose their subjects in school. They choose what they're going to major in. They choose what their vocation is. They choose their mate. They choose everything that they do. And if you're a Christian and love God, then you'll say, Oh God, I ask you to bless my choices. But you know what? That's a poor way to do it. You need to recognize that you hadn't got sense enough spiritually to come in out of the rain apart from God. And we just need to say, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You reveal yourself to me. See, this all goes back to the fact that you were created by God and you were created for a purpose. Let me share another passage of scripture. This has been very special in my life out of Jeremiah chapter 1. The Lord spoke this to me in 1972. And it's a long story, but I had a miraculous encounter with the Lord where He woke me up, got me up in the middle of the night. Jeremiah chapter 1, in verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Before Jeremiah was even formed... Before he was ever born, God created him for a purpose. There's many passages of scripture that go along with this, but uh, Psalms chapter 139, I forget the exact verse, but it says that, you know, where can I flee from the presence of the Lord? I can't go anywhere. If I ascend into heaven, he's there. If I go into hell, he's there. It says, you know, all of my parts, you had them all numbered before they were even formed in my mother's womb. God knew us intimately and according to this passage and also Galatians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul says that God separated me under the gospel from my mother's womb. This wasn't just unique to Jeremiah or Paul. It's for every one of us. God created you for a purpose. You were created by God. You did not evolve. Hold this thought right here and I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. But let me say a couple of things. You know the reason... That evolution is so popular today is because it basically comes down to what I'm talking about right here. People don't want to accept the fact that you were created by God, which makes you responsible to a, crea- to a creator for what you do with your life. It means that you are responsible. If they can say, well, I didn't, I wasn't created. I just evolved. I happened. I came from a piece of slime. Well, then that basically makes you no different than a dog, than a rabbit, than a bird or anything else. And you can live like an animal and soothe your conscience thinking that there is no creator that I'm accountable to. And I know I'm probably preaching to the choir in here. You guys are to be out here on Thursday night, you're probably a fanatic or were drugged here by a fanatic. But in case there's anybody here who doesn't understand this, you know what? Evolution, there is no facts, there is no science, there is no 
a proof of any of it. It is a theory. Darwin himself rejected it. Darwin said it was just a theory. And on his deathbed, that was his greatest lament because he became a Christian and he repented and lamented over the whole thing. Darwin himself didn't believe it. There is no proof for evolution. You will have people present it as if it's truth, but it's not. You know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. There's other people that can do this a lot better than I can. Matter of fact, uh, before this meeting, I looked up uh, three different websites. One of them, the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. They have a list of ten things on there. The ten, what, ten of the biggest arguments against evolution. And there are literally thousands of, of scientists who now subscribe to creationism instead of evolution. Matter of fact, some of the testimonies that I've read, some one scientist that I read about became a Christian because science disproves evolution. It cannot be proven. The very uh, dating method that they used to establish the dating for that first fossil that did the Swopes trial and got evolution into the public schools and all of this, carbon-14 dating has been proven to be inaccurate. They used it on a living mollusk and proved it was 3,500 years dead. (laughs) Now scientists have even quit using the carbon-14 dating method. They admit it was incorrect, and yet they still have the assumptions that they had when they were using that to to establish things. The uh, different levels of uh, layers of the earth and stuff, it has been proven that all of that can be produced by a flood. And instead of there being the most, you know, um, unorganized organisms at the lower level, and then it progresses the way that the evolutionary change says it, there is the highly developed creatures at the lowest level of strata completely disproving all of these things. I've actually been to Glen Rose, Texas, where you can see the footprint of a human being fossilized in sand where they walk. Actually, they were running. You could tell because they were on the balls of their feet. They ran. They pulled to the side, stopped there. Here comes a dinosaur. And then the person comes out and steps in the dinosaur. And they actually have the fossilized imprint of a human foot in a dinosaur Footprint. It's there. You can go see it. I've seen it with my physical eyes, which proves that man was contemporary with the dinosaurs, which is against the evolutionary chain. On and on you can go. Mathematics disprove it. Did you know that the Earth's magnetic field is decreasing at a known given rate? It's a constant. There isn't as much gravity as there used to be. It's a very small decrease. But if you take uh, back the uh, magnetic decline of the earth over 12,000 years, life as we know it can't exist on this planet. Which proves a short period of earth instead of a very long period of earth. People say, well, what about oil? It took millions of years for all of these plants and stuff to decay. You can make a uh, barrel of oil out of a ton of garbage in uh, 30 minutes, man can do that. If man can do it, I can guarantee you, God can do it. <laughs> Mathematics prove that the chances of an explosion in a printing shop, if it was to explode and print a Gutenberg Bible, hand-bound, 
And hundreds of those copies all collated, bound, and stacked neatly. The chances of that happening are one millionth or less the chances of evolution happening. If you just had an explosion in a printing shop and all of a sudden Bibles get printed, collated, bound, and stacked, that's more believable than evolution. You know what, evolution, I, I could go on and on. I'm not a great uh, scientist, but I, I can guarantee you evolution does not make sense. The second law of thermodynamics, or thermonutics, or however you say this, is that everything goes from a state of disorder, I mean a state of order, to a state of disorder. If you were to take a flower arrangement and put it up here and come back in a hundred years, if nobody ever touched it, I could guarantee you it would be in disorder. You can't just throw flowers up here and have them come into order. Everybody understands that. Things go from a state of order to a state of disorder. And yet evolution is based on the exact opposite. That everything was absolute chaos and it just comes to a a place of order. And I mean the, the complexness of just the human body. It boggles the mind. It's not just like flowers coming together. That's nothing. Now, if you just threw flowers up here and if they came together and all made something brand new that was alive and could reproduce and think and create and build, that would be similar to what evolution is. And yet people believe in that. You know what? People want to believe in evolution. And the reason they want to believe it is because of the very issue I'm talking about. It means that we aren't responsible to a creator. I evolved and therefore I have no accountability Evolution is a religion. It is a belief system. People want to believe it because it helps cope with this question of where did I come from? If I just evolved, then I can act any way I want to and it doesn't matter because I'm just a mistake. I just happened. People like to believe that because it helps deal with this conscience that every time they get quiet starts telling them, Man, is this what living is about? Is this all that there is? Man, driving on the freeway, getting stuck in rush hour traffic, pressure, strife, is this what life is about? People like to deaden themselves to it and so they grasp at whatever it is that helps them to cope with it. And let me make one other comparison before I get back on the subject. You know what? This is behind the division that we see in our culture today, in our society, where we got liberal and conservative. You know what it basically boils down to? It all comes down to morality, accountability to God versus unaccountability to God. Some people don't see that, but I believe that that's exactly what it's about. Matter of fact, I saw a poll recently, and in this poll... It said some, I forget the exact figures, but I think it was 65% of all people that call themselves religious are conservative. And, of course, not all people that call themselves religious are truly born again. And I think that what it was talking about was people that go to church once a week. There's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of moral people that don't go to church once a week. If you were to include that, I believe that you could nearly say that the vast majority, 80, 90, 100% of moral people tend to be conservative. And I know I may be stepping on some toes here, but I'm leaving in two days, so it doesn't matter. 
But you know what? We've just got one of the clearest choices in our nation on, on morality versus immorality that we've ever had. I'm not telling you who to vote for. Do you? I'm telling you that you have a responsibility. You ought to vote. But the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know what? People are arguing and talking about this and what about my medications and what about my social security or what about my entitlement. I don't agree that, um, you know, one party is going to give you more money than the other. But that's, I'm not going to debate all that. Even if you believe it, I guarantee you there's some things more important about you than you getting a check, than you getting a prescription. I tell you, if you're voting for people who are going to kill children, babies, something's seriously wrong here. Amen. And you may not like this, but I believe it all comes back. If you just keep checking below the surface, going down to the bottom line, you know, the bottom line is that people who are not accountable to God, then it's all about me. And if I'm getting taken care of, who cares what happens to the unborn? Who cares what happens to this, to that? Who cares about anything? Gay marriage? You know, everybody's got their own right. People will say things, you can't legislate morality. That's absolutely stupid. Sure, you can legislate morality. Did you know it's morality when you say, thou shalt not kill? And if a person kills, you send them to jail. And if you, if you say, well, they've got their own rights. You've got freedom to kill if you want to. No, you don't. We've got restrictions on that. Jesus... I mean, the scriptures that I've already used said that before you were formed in the womb, before you came forth out of your mother's belly, I sanctified you. He didn't sanctify a hunk of flesh. See, this all comes back, if you just keep looking at it, to people who have gotten further and further and further and further and further removed from God being the source of life, God being responsible for creating, creating with a purpose And it's because we are becoming a more and more increasingly secular, ungodly, disjointed from God society. If you were to sit down and answer this question, where did I come from? You were created by God. You didn't just happen. You were created. You have a purpose. It is not up to you to pick and choose what you want to do and then ask God to bless it. You are responsible to a creator. And if you understood that, if you went back and recognized this connection to God, did you know what? It would totally turn most of our lives on the earth. It would just totally change us. I'm not saying this to condemn or hurt anybody, but I'm trying to get you to think. But you know, there are many of you that you couldn't today say, I am doing what God created me to do. I've asked this question. I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up tonight, but we've asked it in, re, in relationship to our Bible college and stuff. Asking how many people know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in God's will, that you are doing what God created you to do. And I've asked people to hold their hand up. And did you know that if this is a typical group, there'd be somewhere around 10 to 20% of Christians that have a confidence that they have found God's purpose for their life. 
And it comes because, honestly, we think that our life is ours to live. It's my choices. So you've always liked this, so you just choose this. You go your direction, and then as you encounter the Lord, you say, Oh, God, bless my efforts. That's not the way to live. You know, this may surprise some of you, but I had never prayed over these meetings. I haven't, I've prayed in the sense of, God, what do you want me to share? But I haven't prayed, oh, God, pour out your spirit. Oh, God, touch people. Oh, God, change people's lives. And most people think, well, that's absolutely irresponsible. You should have been praying over these meetings. Asking for God's blessing. When I go into a lot of churches, they'll take me into the pastor's study before the service. And they'll start praying, oh, God, anoint this man. Oh, God, speak through him. And I'm usually just sitting there watching them. I've had people look at me like, what's wrong with you? And I said, hey, if I'm not anointed now, I'm not going to get it in the next 10 minutes. Here's a way that I've learned to live. And you know what? I'm doing what God created me to do. I have an anointing from God to do what I'm doing. I am called to do this. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I'm doing what God has told me to do. I know God sent me here. He laid it on my heart to come to uh, Atlanta. He laid it on my heart to share the things that I'm sharing. I'm doing what God told me to do, and I don't have to ask God to bless what He's told me to do. All i got to do is cooperate with And I tell you, it is a wonderful way to live is just to find out what God created you for and then get in agreement and do it. God will make you look good. You know what? When you get to doing what you're anointed to do, it's amazing how things work. You know, I'm not like some people. I didn't have any talents or abilities whatsoever. I was always average in anything I've ever done on the football team, baseball. I was never the worst, but I was never the best. I remember in our high school division playoffs, I was the center for punts. And we were down against the goal line. I centered the ball right over the guy's head into the end zone. They recovered it and we lost by two points and it was all my fault. I was the scourge of the high school. And you know what? He was always like that. I was, I I mean, it just never, things never worked. But you know, in a way that's a blessing because... When I got to graduate, this is what turned my life around. You know, this question that I'm asking you tonight is what totally turned my life around. Because when I began to graduate from high school, they started having career days and saying, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You need to pick. And they had people come in and start talking about this. And one thing I knew was that I was created by God for a purpose. And I started my senior year in high school saying, God, what have you created me for? And it was a blessing that I didn't have any talents or abilities. Because see, if I had have had talents and abilities, I might have thought, well, I'll just do this because I'm good at this. I wasn't good at anything. And so I had to say, God, what have you created me to do? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. I didn't have any idea. I didn't have any direction. There was nothing. I can't do anything on my own. And so it was a blessing. I had, you know, the problem is some people are so talented, you don't need God. 
you're going to run and you may do good. You might last through midlife crisis. You might even last into old age. But you know what? Sooner or later, every person in here is going to come to the end of your gifts, your abilities, your talents, your strengths. And some of you are going to wind up in nursing homes and all of a sudden wonder about, did I fulfill what God had for my life? I wonder if what I did my whole life was what God ordained me to do. You know what? That's not a blessing to have so much talent that you can get going without God. I started seeking the Lord during my high school year and for about 18 months, I just poured through the Word of God. I didn't know. I went to my uh, church and asked them, how do you find God's will? And they basically said, "You, you know, you just choose and ask God to bless it. I knew there was something more than that. So I started studying the Word And 18 months later, I had an encounter with the Lord where God supernaturally revealed Himself to me and He changed my life in a heartbeat just like that. I was already born again, but I had an encounter with God. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was called to serve God full time. Within a very short period of time, God revealed to me what He's wanting me to do. And everything in my life has come from this one decision, basically. I was already born again. But you know what? If I hadn't have understood that I came from God, that I'm accountable to a creator for his purposes. God created me with talents and abilities that are to serve his purpose. And every one of you, every one of you were created by God for a purpose. Passage of scripture that's become very popular to a lot of people. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. One translation says a hope in a future. All of those things are good, but I like this expected end. God has thoughts towards us. They're thoughts of peace. And you you can predict your future. If you will find out what God called you to do, then you don't have to wonder what your end's gonna be like. You don't have to wonder, am I still going to be serving the Lord at the end? Am I going to hold on? Am I going to die a terrible death or whatever? No, I can tell you what's going to happen because, man, God's revealed Himself to me. I'm believing God and I've got a plan and a future. And I understand what my end's going to be like. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory with a flash instead of a whimper. Amen. And some of you don't have that confidence. It's because you don't know that you are where you're supposed to be. You did not evolve. You are not a mistake, whether your parents planned you or not. You are a supernatural creation of God. God has a divine purpose for you. And you only have one shot at reaching your full potential. And that is in finding God's purpose and plan for your life and doing it. You might be able to do multiple things, but you'll never have the same blessing in the anointing that you'll have when you find out what God's purpose for your life is. And this all comes back to you have to start off with understanding you came from God. You were created by God for a purpose. You're a unique creation. Nobody can do what you can do. You know, I am spending literally millions of dollars per year on radio and television, reaching people. And yet I can guarantee you that every single person sitting in a chair in this place tonight 
has a realm of influence, people that you know that you can touch their life and I could spend billions of dollars and they would never hear of me. I would never impact their life. You have a realm of influence. You are going to touch someone. God knew all of that. God has given you supernatural abilities. He's placed you in places. You have opportunities that I cannot ever have, that nobody else could ever have. And it's up to you to reach that potential. You've got other people's miracles on the inside of you. There are some of you that have gifts and anointing. Some of you are anointed with the gift of healing that you've never seen it manifest. Some of you have the gifts of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirit, a gift of faith. There are many of you that have supernatural gifts in here and because you've never found your God-given place and your potential, there are people that God ordained their miracle to come through you and they aren't receiving it because you haven't occupied your place. Some of you don't like what I'm saying because you're saying, you're making it sound like I could miss it and I, I could I could make a mistake and because of that somebody else could suffer. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's not up to you to just pick and choose and say, well, I always wanted to be a fireman or I always wanted to do this and so I just am doing what I want to do. Well, is that what God wants you to do? You were made by a creator. He's got purposes for your life. Can you truthfully say that you found that purpose? Can you truthfully say that you have acknowledged that it is not in man that walks to direct his own steps? And you've been saying, God, I'm not going anywhere without you. God, I'm not going to do anything until I hear from you and find out what your purpose for my life is. You know, that ought to be one of the responses to what I'm ministering here tonight. It ought to cause you to recognize that, you know what, before you can find out who you are and where you're going to go, you've got to make this connection with you came from God. God created you on purpose. He knew all of your parts before they were even formed. He knew all of your gifts, talents, and abilities. He knew the time that you would be born in. He knew the needs. And God has uniquely equipped you and fitted you to fulfill a certain purpose. Are you fulfilling it? You know what? You've got, to, you've got to come to grips with this. I tell you, brothers and sisters, if you don't look at things this way and start thinking about God, what is your purpose for my life? God, why am I here? If you don't start asking those types of questions, you can never truly discover who you are and what God meant you to be. And it will influence. Of course, you could be born again and headed to heaven and your ultimate destination would be good, but I can promise you in this life, you're going to just have problem after problem after problem. One of the reasons that some of you struggle and it seems like it's so hard is because you aren't in that supernatural flow of what God told you to do. You are out there on your own trying to accomplish things and I can guarantee you that's difficult. You know, it's been a long, long time since I've been out in a secular world working a job. I did that one time. I've poured cement for a living. I've been through the army. I've done a lot of things. But you know what? I can tell you in the ministry, 
that uh, I forget the exact statistics, but it's something like 80% of all ministers are going to quit. They will never reach the end of their life still in the ministry. Out of the people who are presently in the ministry, it's around 80 to 90%. This is James Dobson's statistics from Focus on the Family. 80 to 90% of all ministers are facing burnout and on the verge of quitting. And you can talk about the pressures and this and that, but you know what it is. It's people trying to serve God in their own ability. There's a lot of people who are pastors of churches that they aren't called to be pastors. There's a lot of people who are out traveling ministers and they aren't called to travel. There's lots of different ways to minister. You know, I have people all the time trying to get me to start a church. And there could be advantages to starting churches and different things. But you know what? That's not what I'm anointed to do. I know that I've got to do what God has called me to do. You know, when I sat in front of a television camera and started ministering, there was a supernatural anointing. I can talk to a television camera just like it's you. I feel compassion towards that television camera. I can feel what that television camera is feeling. (laughs) I can tell when they aren't in agreement with me. There is a supernatural flow. I enjoy sitting in front of a microphone and making radio programs and stuff. Some people, they just can't do it. I'm anointed to do what I'm doing. There is a supernatural God kind of flow. And you know what? I can do a lot of different things, but I'm only anointed to do certain things. And you've got to find out what it is that God's called you to do. And you've got to do what God calls you to do. And all of this goes back to the fact that, you know what? You aren't just something that evolved. You aren't independent of God You are an extension of God. You were made in His likeness and made in His image, created with a purpose. And it's only when you go back to the very beginning and say, in the beginning, God, and you just start with the fact that, God, I am your unique creation. God has never made a piece of junk in His life. God has never made a failure. If your life is a failure, if you feel like your life is totally messed up, if you, are, if you are not just blessed beyond measure with where you are, you haven't found God's will and purpose for your life. I can guarantee you when you get into God's supernatural divine flow, that doesn't mean there won't be problems. I've got a lot of problems right now facing me. I've got a lot of things on the horizon, but you know what? I'm happy. I'm excited. I've got hope. I've got faith about the future. My life is going good because I know I'm where God called me to be. I'm not saying you won't have problems, but I'm saying that there will be a satisfaction, a contentment, a joy, an energy, a momentum that you cannot get when you are doing your own thing and asking God to bless it. You need to come to grips with where have you come from. Well, originally all of us came from God, but we came from God with a specific purpose. And you need to find out what that purpose is for your life. And if you can't answer those questions, if you can't deal with that, then you know what? You'll never really discover who you are and what you have until you start recognizing God as your source. Brothers and sisters, I know I've said some things that disturb people and that many times people like to ignore this because it's uncomfortable. Some of you 
are in a position where you've got a nice income, you've got a family, you've already settled in, you're thinking retirement, and you don't like to think. You don't like somebody to rock the boat. This could mean that you've spent 10, 20, 30 years doing your own thing, treading water and missing out on the things of God. And a lot of people, rather than face that, will just continue on in the mode that you're on and refuse to allow these thoughts to surface because I might have missed God. This is one of the things we see with our Bible college constantly is we see people come that are 40, 50. We've had people come 70 years old to Bible college and just now find out what God created them to do. And their life just begins. It just starts. Amen. Their life is just getting started in the 50s and in the 60s. It's better to find out then and get into the flow of what God's called you to do than just because it's disconcerting a little bit, uncomfortable, just bury your head in the sand and go on because you don't want to face the fact that God has a purpose for your life. But God does have a purpose for every last one of you. I've used a number of scriptures tonight, and man, you ought to be aware of that. You need to come to grips with these things. Where did you come from? You came from God with directions. And you just got to read them. You need to go into reading the owner's manual and find out what it is that God has for you to do. And you need to discover what your true potential is. You know, I heard a man preach one time and he said that if you wanted to find the place on the face of the earth where there is the most potential, where would you look? And man, people started giving ideas and they started mentioning some of these corporations. They started mentioning some cities, Wall Street, different things. And finally he gave the answer and he says it's a graveyard. Because nearly everybody takes their potential to the grave. They never did release it. You need to reach a place where, man, you are going to empty yourself out and there's not going to be a single miracle, a single good thing left on the inside of you. You are going to empty yourself of everything that God has given you so that when you leave this place, somebody will miss you. Again, I know that these things are a little disturbing, but you need to face it now because you're breathing. You can change. But you know what? Someday some of you are going to be gone. You're going to be dead and gone and nobody's going to miss you. Matter of fact, some people will be relieved. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. If you aren't out there, man, believing God and discovering what your potential is, then you know what? You're just occupying space. Somebody else could be using that space. You need to make your life so that when you die and are gone, you've done something. The world is better. Your family, your friends, somebody is better because you were here. And I know you don't like to think this, but there's some of you here that your life hasn't been a blessing. It's been a pain to you and to other people. You can change that. God didn't make you to be that way. If that's the way your life is going, it's because you have not yet discovered God's purpose and plan for your life. And so you need to discover that. Amen? Amen. You know, I'm going to ask you to do something here tonight. 
that you may be uncomfortable with, but nonetheless, I feel inspired to do this. I want to ask those of you that would just say, you know what, I don't know for sure that I've discovered God's purpose. Now, you may. You may be right where God wants you to be, but you just don't know it for sure. You have never really come to grips and had enough communication with God to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that, you know what, I am exactly where God wants me to be. You know, if that's you tonight, and you haven't discovered that, I don't think you can progress until you discover that. I think that that is a first step. And I'm just going to ask those of you that would be humble enough just to say, you know what, I don't know for sure that I've discovered God's purpose and plan for my life, but I want to know. And tonight, I'm saying that I'm going to start seeking until I find. I'm going to find out what God's purpose and plan for my life is. If you're humble enough to say that and say, that's me, I just want you to stand right where you are. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe you to have an encounter with God to where you know what God's purpose and plan for your life is. You know, if you've understood this invitation correctly and if you've responded, this is over 50% of the people in here are saying, I don't know for sure that I'm where God wants me to be. And you wonder why there isn't more joy, liberty, freedom in your life. And this is a beginning point. It's not the end, it's a beginning point. Man, this is going to change your life. I believe it's going to make a huge difference in your life. Father, I thank you for every one of these that's standing. I thank you, Father, that they've humbled themselves. They've admitted tonight... That, Father, for whatever the reasons are, we just have not been still and known you the way that we should. Father, we haven't let that spirit that you've placed on the inside of us give us the guidance and the direction. Father, we've done our own thing. We don't know for sure what your purpose and plan is. Father, we want to know. We want these gifts. We want your anointing. We want this supernatural flow of the Holy Spirit in our life to where we are seeing our true potential released. Father, these people are standing for that purpose. And Father, we just pray. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you'll present yourself to God as a living sacrifice and renew your mind through the Word of God, you will prove, make manifest to the physical senses what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Father, tonight we're doing that. These people have humbled themselves. They've stood in front of friends saying that I'm not sure I'm in the center of God's will. They've humbled themselves. You said if we humble ourselves, you'll lift us up. You'll exalt us. Father, we are laying ourselves before you as a living sacrifice. Father, we are going to renew our minds, seek you, and we believe that we will prove that it will come to pass the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And Father, we thank you for that. We agree and receive it and then believe that tonight, Father, there's going to be a difference in our heart that we're going to start being still and knowing you and that we will discover what purpose we were made for. And we agree and receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Praise God. Awesome. You can be seated.